Hi, this is Kelly. The current podcast of last Sunday's Sermon Time includes a section that I'm going to read on behalf of one of the presenters who gave his testimony during the sermon. He did this right after June Reed gives hers. But he didn't feel comfortable having his voice on the podcast, and so he asked me if I would just read his part for him and have that included in the podcast. So when you get to uh, the part where he would do, have done his testimony, you'll find my voice reading his part, and it's a wonderful part, a wonderful testimony that he gives about what our church has been able to do for him. I would think that uh, the fact that we're taking up a collection this morning might make you think about some of the works we do, including things like our clothing exchange, our free clothing giveaway that's going to take place next Saturday. Right now, there's not a whole lot down there, ladies and gentlemen, in terms of clothing. So I want to really encourage you to go home today or tomorrow and go through your closets and your drawers and look and see what you have. Talk to your neighbors and see what they might have, because some of you are going to have neighbors who have lots of clothes that they need to give away. Like, ladies, isn't it true that you've been looking for years at that one dress that lady wears, and you think, I wish she would give that away? (laughs) And so, uh, and then you could pick it up at the clothing exchange. And so I I really encourage you to, uh, to do that. Talk to your friends and neighbors, talk to others, and see what we can do about getting some more clothes down there, because there's not right now as much as there needs to be. One of, my, uh, one of my favorite bloggers is a guy by the name of Scott McKnight. Scott is a New Testament scholar, teaches at the seminary in Chicago, and uh, blogs all the time, blogs often, and blogs long and clearly in ways that uh, oftentimes are provocative for the church. Scott has just come out with a new book that is entitled, or at least this is, a, this is the subtitle, Nurturing a Culture of Christiformity in the Church. Let me ask you this question, what does the word Christiformity mean? It's pretty obvious, I think, but what, is it, what do you think that means? Christiformity. Somebody? What's that? Becoming like Christ, form like Christ, exactly. And it's interesting, again, that this title, Nurturing a Culture of Christiformity in the Church, you wouldn't think a book would have to be written like that. But it apparently does, and I'm glad that Scott McKnight has written just exactly that book, and I'm glad that he's focused on a word like Christiformity. One of the things that happens, he says, in this book, and in fact, this forms not so much a subtitle as much as a blurb on maybe on on the bottom cover of the book, is it says, Christiformity countered the ways of Rome and embodied the life of Christ in a congregation and in individuals. And when he says that, he's talking specifically about the church that was in Rome, and he's saying that in that church, people began to conform to Christ. And because they did, something happened. There was change that took place. And in fact, the church became a dominant force within the Roman Empire. In fact, it was so dominant that we soon saw the conjoining of the Roman Empire and the Roman Catholic Church, so that it became the Roman Catholic Church. And Christianity, in fact, became the religion of the empire. Christiformity, which is conforming to the life of Christ, happened within the culture. It happened within society and community right in Rome to such an extent that it became the society's dominant force. The notion of Christiformity is the key to the fulfillment, I think, even of our own mission. If we want to reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ, if Christ starts to live within us in a significant way, we're going to see, I think, some change take place. 
some change both in us and in the world around us as we live out Christ in that world. And here's another thing that McKnight says. McKnight says the only effective means, and, and just think about that, okay? The only effective means for Christians to take Christ into their communities is for Christians to be Christ for and in their communities. Well, that has an awful lot to do with intersecting. Intersections between the world and ourselves. And when we take Christ into our communities because Christ is in us and then is in and for those communities because he's in us, we go a long ways toward fulfilling the mission of Christ. And so the key to growth, I think, even in the church, is the way in which Christ himself lived among and through the Christians who lived uh, like in the Roman Empire and now lives, of course, within us. Now, by the way, I should say, I don't think that the way that culture eventually adopted Christianity, and there was eventually a kind of coming together so closely, culture and Christianity, that sometimes it was hard to see the difference between the two. And so we have eventually something like the Holy Roman Empire, where there's just so much joining of of the, the nations and the aristocracy and the monarchy and the church that I'm not sure how healthy all of that was. So we've got to be careful there in some sense. We don't want to bring the world and the church so closely together uh, that they become, in fact, one, especially when we then compromise and become like the world, which is unfortunately what happened and what happens. But we do want Christ to live with us. And because he's living within us, for us to go into the world. In fact, it's interesting. We, like, we know the Great Commission. The Great Commission talks about how we go into the world with the gospel. And I would say that Christ does, in fact, tell us to go, and that as we go, that he is with us. We know this. I'm with you even till the end of the age, Jesus says. Now, usually when we hear the words, I'm, lo, I'm with you always, to the very end of the age, we tend to think, I think, in terms of him being there to kind of comfort us, strengthen us, be there alongside us during trials. And I'm not sure that that is exactly what he means. In fact, what if we thought in terms of Christ being in us and therefore we being Christ to the world? What if instead of us saying, well, Jesus, thank you for being with me there when I went into the world with the gospel, you were comforting me, you were strengthening me, you were taking care of me. What if instead we said, if Jesus is with me, if Jesus is in me, then when I go into the world, I can connect with the world as Christ. Because Christ is in me. And so Christ is connecting with the world. Truly Christ through us so that the world experiences Christ in us when they experience us. It could well be that that's the kind of thing that's being talked about here. In fact, it's interesting how well that meshes with some other, other scriptures. Another famous New Testament scholar that I really like is a guy named Richard Hayes. Richard Hayes says this at one point in one of his writings. He says, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Now think about that. Christ who lives in me uh, lo, I'm with you even to the ends of the earth. I'm always with you. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. That's a little bit of a twist of the language, by the way, in terms of the translation. Who loved me and gave himself for me. We are taken up into his life, including his faithfulness. And that faithfulness, therefore, imparts to us the shape of our own existence. 
This is a radical restructuring of human nature. It is in fact, in effect, a new creation. And we are changed. We're changed by the Spirit of God into something like Christ is Hayes' point. So that when we go into the world with the good news, it's actually Christ who goes into the world through us. He says this, participation in Christ is one of the major features of our salvation. Now we tend to think, I'm being saved, I'm being taken out of this world, and go to heaven. He says participation in Christ is one of the major features of our salvation. We participate in Christ's life and work of redeeming the world. The question then is not just one of obedience, and there's been a lot of thoughts about obedience, focused on obedience. It's not just one of obedience in our behavior, but participation with Jesus in his redemption of the world. And again, that makes sense. Christ is in us going into the world because we go into the world. We are in the world. Jesus has to be in the world because he's living through us into the world. And he doesn't come in us just so that we will live obediently before him, but instead so that he can be in us and so that we can live him out in the world. I like this. I like this idea that Jesus is in me to the point where when I'm in the world... If I'm living like Jesus, Jesus is in fact speaking on behalf of himself through me and through my life in the world as I live this out. Now again, I think there's some other scriptures that kind of support this notion. Like for example, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And it's his appeal through us through our lives. And so when Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, the point is not just so that you can be one with God, but so that as Christ is reconciled with you and begins to live in you, what he is then is taken into the world. And we become his ambassadors because he is in fact in us. He's not just at our side. He's not just comforting us. He's not just strengthening us. He's not just carrying us along, but is instead in us, through our witness, so that when we speak, we speak as Christ. And of course, I don't mean we speak as the Lord, we speak as the Son of God, as if I'm really the Son of God, but we speak as Jesus to the world. And that's what they see in us. I want you to turn to this passage, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it's on page 811 in the Bibles that are underneath the seats. Because I want us to read this together. This This is a powerful verse when it comes to talking about being in the world. And, and especially with the good news of Christ in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Paul says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. That's interesting. He's become a slave. What kind of slave? To the Jews I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law though I myself am am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law though I'm not free from God's law but I'm under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. So whether you're Jew or Gentile Paul says I became like that in order to win some for Christ. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. 
I've become, and this is the key line, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And I just want you to think about this for a moment. When Paul says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some, part of what he means is that I have become Christ in the world. Because Christ is living in me. I have become that. That's one of all of those things that I have become. Why have I become that? So that when I go into the world, it is Christ in me going into the world. Well, in our church, we have been trying through a lot of our activities to be this. And this morning, we're going to hear from a couple of people who are very closely tied just exactly to that. This mission of being Christ in the world. And the first one is June Reed. I've asked June if she would share and just talk about what it means for us to be Christ in the world, to have a ministry to our community. Her heart is full of that. And so she's going to talk for a few moments about that. June, thanks. Good morning, church. Um, Kelly asked me to speak about our Wednesday lunches and why I do it. And I think I do it because I had a mum that was a good example for me. I grew up in a very poor family with an alcoholic father. But my mum, and with six children, but my mum always found time to help the neighbours and those less fortunate than we were. Uh, And I've grown up and I have a, a wonderful life now with everything I could possibly have. I have a loving family. I get hugs every day. I have grandchildren that hug me. I have the finances to do what I want to do. And the people we serve on a Wednesday do not have this. Some of them are estranged from their families. They hardly ever see their families. Their family are the people that they mix with on the street. Some of them don't have a home. They sleep on the streets. They sleep in the parks. They are afraid to go to the drop-in centers because they say they have to have one eye open because somebody's going to steal from them. They have very little that can be stolen from them. They sleep with their shoes under their pillows so that they will wake up the next morning with two shoes and not just one, which they have done quite often, woken up with one shoe. What do they do? They go around and take somebody else's shoe because they need shoes to go out into the street. We have formed relationships with these people on a Wednesday, and I call them my friends. I've come, become involved in their lives, and I can honestly say that I love them. I love the personalities of each one of them. Some of them can be a bit crazy, but we have lots of fun. We shed a tear now and again. We visit them in hospital if we find out that they've been in hospital at all or are ill. 
they know that we love them. We hug them. We share their life with them. And they know that they can come to us in their hour of need. And this is all because of Hope and Kelly, Jonathan and Dustin have opened our doors to those less fortunate than we are. Um, I want to encourage you either to make a meal for them with a group, with your small group, or come and visit them on a Wednesday. Come, visit, sit and talk to them. Find out about the kind of lives they have. Some of them may have had a few drinks that morning, and some of them have really, really tried to stop drinking and to lead a better life. It's just so difficult for them. But they know no matter how many times they try, we will be there for them. Kelly will take them to the detox center and we will help them in every way we can. So church, we have a sign up online or there's a table outside in the foyer. If you can make a meal or help make a meal, please sign up, put your name down there. It will be greatly appreciated, I can assure you. And while we're on that subject, I want to uh, say as well about the clothing exchange. We have very little in, in the gym right now. It's making me quite nervous. So please, please look and find out what you can give. We are in desperate need of coats for the upcoming winter. Thank you. Well, I really appreciated what June said, uh, but what I appreciate more is the way that June gives her heart and her life to those people. She does that because she loves them and because she wants to be Christ in the world, and I'm so grateful that she does. One of the people who has been uh, for a long time now involved in our lunches on Wednesday uh, and then coming to things here, uh, was baptized over a year ago, and has definitely become part of our church family in so many ways is Mike Davies. And I wanted Mike to come and talk a little, about, a little bit about his experience of what it means to have received uh, from our church the gift of having people live like Christ uh, in his life. Here's a testimony from somebody who has come to mean so much to all of us over the last three or four years. Phew, this is just a little bit terrifying. I met up with Kelly the other evening, and he asked me to do this. He asked me to tell you how I see Christ's presence in our church. I see it in the love you have for others, your genuine interest in each other's lives, and how much effort I see you guys put into doing things for others and all the selfless acts I see around here. I've gotten a bit of a unique view of some of the great things that happen around here. I remember the first time I came by here for a bag lunch. Life was not going good for me, and that day was especially hard on me. That act of kindness meant so much to me, and that was when my relationship with this church began, a little over four years ago. It feels like it was a lot longer than that, though. The Wednesday lunches and how great it is to just sit down and share a meal and have some time with others. I haven't made it to one in a while. 
Some people don't really have the opportunity to enjoy such things very often. And there really is something wonderful about sitting down and sharing a meal and some conversations with others. I have to say that I feel quite blessed with my regular Sunday lunches that I have too. I've seen Christ's presence in how you've all been so kind and supportive to me. When it was time for me to make changes in my life, Kelly drove me to Renfrew, and Hope went out and got me some socks and underwear, among some other things, to make it easier for me. Darcy took me ice fishing. Actually, I got to go ice fishing, and to a movie, and to a hockey game, all in that same family day weekend. I see it in how I'm always being asked about how things are going on in my life, just making small talk, with, but with care and interest. I see it in the time and effort that goes into things like Christmas in Marlboro, VBS, clothing giveaway, stampede breakfast, to name a few. I see it where Gary puts in a lot of work to bring livestock and horses just to give a good experience to the kids and some of the adults. I see it where Kevin encourages us to go out and have lunch with someone that we wouldn't normally. There was even cash handed out to pay for it. I see the never-ending list of things that Hope does, so selflessly, and how I've watched so many of you step up and do whatever is asked of you just to help out. I imagine all the other life groups are similar to the one I am part of, where I see it through great friendships made while discussing the Bible, trying to get a better understanding. You all give me a sense of hope in this world. Kelly asked me to summarize what the best thing is that the church has done for me. It's the sense of community and fellowship. Thanks. What we do as a church family in making ourselves available to those in the world and building relationships with them is immeasurably valuable. Isn't it exciting when God does that in the life of an individual? When we make ourselves available to be used by Christ, for Christ to live within us, and then be him to people around us. He, through his spirit, does something that we can't begin to do on our own. And I'm so grateful that that's exactly what Jesus has done, certainly in Mike, but in others. Why is it that Jesus was called a drunkard and a glutton? Why is that? I, it's certainly not because he was a drunkard. It's certainly not because he was a glutton. It's because Jesus lived with drunkards. It's because Jesus lived with those who had addictions. Jesus, I think, smelled like the people around him. Because he was with them. He was in their community. Which was his community. And so what we find is that God is making his appeal through us. Because Christ is living in us.
And the question for the morning needs to be something like this. How can you, how can I, how can we become Christ in your community, in our community? How can this happen? How is it? Like you, you, you need to ask that question. I need to ask that question of myself and ask it regularly. How is it that I can be Christ in my community? What choices can you make about your time and your efforts in serving Christ so that being Christ in our community becomes a driving force in your life? Because it needs to be. That's what Jesus wants. He wants to be so fully in us that what we are in our world is driven by his presence within us. We're going to see more lives changed when this happens as Christ so badly wants it to happen in us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have placed us at an intersection. You've put us in a place where we connect with you and you live in us and then we connect with and live in the world, in our communities. And God, I believe, Christ, I believe that you are transcendent and Lord of those communities. And because you're the Lord of our lives, I believe that you want to work in those communities and at those intersections in significant ways. Oh, I pray that you would live in us through your spirit that we can then be you in our world at those intersections, those places where we are are mixing with spending time with, meeting with, being you with those people. Help us to do this fully full of you. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.